Well, if you would, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We are picking back up after being out of this book for a while. And we are also nearing the end. Um, And we are in the middle of this section towards the end where Paul is answering questions and concerns that the Thessalonian church has regarding the return of Christ. So last time Paul was addressing their questions about what the return of Christ will mean for Christians who have died before his return. And in our passage today, he's addressing concerns that they have about the rest of us. So Paul in this passage is offering a lot of comfort and reassurance. And so it seems that the Thessalonians were feeling kind of anxious and perhaps even fearful as they were trying to come to grips with what the return of Christ means for them. And they aren't really alone, are they? Christians throughout all of history have been fascinated by the return of Christ. And in recent history, there's been somewhat of an explosion of interest in that topic. And not all of it has been entirely a good thing. We've had lots of people making predictions about what year or even a particular date that they think Christ will return. And those dates come and go. And then there's others who are not quite so bold and rather than making firm predictions, just attempt to sort of read the times and seasons for us. They watch the news and they read the paper and they begin to wonder if maybe what we're seeing happening in the world is starting to line up with what their understanding of biblical events are. And it's interesting to me that people who write books like that never seem to draw the conclusion that the return of Christ is probably still a long way off. Because, let's face it, no one wants to read that book, right? Well, we're going to talk about the second coming this morning and what it means for Christians today. And let me tell you, Paul just has some really helpful stuff on this topic. And and we want to come to the Scriptures not merely looking for answers to our questions. We want to come to the Scriptures looking for the Scriptures to even correct and reshape the questions that we ask in the first place. So if you, if you looked at the note sheet, you may have noticed that a verse is missing. Huh. Well, that's because I think verse 5 is really central in understanding the flow of this passage. So remember we said Paul is writing this primarily to encourage the Thessalonians. And all of the encouragement that Paul is going to offer, I think, is going to connect us back to verse 5. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Now, we'll talk more about verse 5 in context when we get there. But what I just want us to see from the, from the first is that Paul's encouragement in this passage is connected to the Thessalonians' identity as being children of light. You are children of the day. And children of the day are fully awake, fully uh, fully aware, fully awake, and are awaiting. So, let's look first at verses 1 through 4, where we find that children of the light are fully aware. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, 
you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. So we said that Paul isn't really in the middle of addressing this topic of the return of Christ. In the previous section, he was answering questions about how saints that have passed away will relate to the return of Christ. And here Paul is addressing the, theolo- uh, the, the Thessalonians' questions. What about us who are still living? What difference should the return of Christ make in the lives of Christians who are still alive? You see, Paul in verse 2 refers to the return of Christ as the day of the Lord. Now, that's a phrase that gets used all throughout the Old Testament to refer to the last day when God will finally judge the wicked and finally save his people. So both those ideas of judgment and salvation are really wrapped up in our passage as well as we consider the day of the Lord when Christ returns. Now, if you go to a Christian bookstore, you can find books written and DVDs produced that promise to reveal to you secret knowledge about when Christ is coming back and how to read the signs of the geopolitical state of the world and how that means we're getting closer and closer to Christ's return. And it's not only informational books like that that you can find. You can buy fiction. And I want to emphasize that it is completely fiction. You can buy novels, you can buy movies, you can buy remakes of movies that are all fascinated with this idea of of figuring out when this will be or how to recognize when it's getting close. And when I think about all these books and and novels and movies that that are really popular, the Christians are buying these things, reading these things, watching these things, I really think that what we need is to take to heart what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 1. Now... Concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. Paul, in one verse, completely delegitimizes what I think has become something of a sacred cow of contemporary Christian pop culture. All of these books about who the Antichrist might be or 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988... Paul, in the Bible, tells Christians, we don't need that kind of stuff to be written to us. And therefore, we, don't, we really don't need to be reading it. Now, why does Paul say we don't need to have stuff written to us about the times and the seasons related to the return of Christ? Well, it's because that's what Jesus said. So in Acts chapter 1, verse 7, his disciples are asking him about this same thing. And Jesus says... It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So times and seasons, that same phrase that Paul says we don't need to have anything written to us about because Jesus says it's not for us to know. Jesus says it's not for us to know, and so Paul says you don't need people who Jesus says don't know what they're talking about to write books for you to read about stuff you can't know. So Paul is actually kind of prefacing his discussion on this topic really by saying, you don't really need me to address this topic. And then he says why they don't need 
him to even address it in verse 2. Paul says to the Thessalonians that they are already fully aware. Now, there's a lot of irony going on in Paul saying that. Because what does Paul say that they are fully aware of? They're fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Which means it's something that uh, is presently unknown and that's going to be a surprise. Right? Because if you know what night the thief is coming to your house, you just call Josh Huffstedler and he just takes care of it. That's not a big problem. But do you see the irony? Paul is saying, you don't need anyone to write to you about this because you already know everything there is to know about it. You are fully aware. And what is it that they know? They know that no one knows. And that's all there is to know. So if you know that you don't know, then you already know everything there is to know. In fact, you know more than those people writing books that Paul says we don't need because you know something they don't know. You know they don't know, but they don't know that. So don't read books written by people who know less about the subject than you do. Now, there's even more irony going on here. Paul says that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Paul's going to be juxtaposing these metaphors of day and night, light and day, throughout our passage. And Paul tells us that this this same event, the day of the Lord, the return of Christ, is going to be experienced differently by Christians and non-Christians. So in verse 2, Paul says that it will come like a thief in the night. But in verse 4, he says, it won't surprise you like a thief. So the image of a thief in the night is a description only of how unbelievers will experience the day of the Lord. They will be unsuspecting, unprepared, caught off guard, and devastated and destroyed. That's what verse 3 says. They're going to go to bed thinking they have peace and security. The security system's on, my dog's outside, my gun's by the bed, I can sleep peacefully but all of their security and peace will be taken from them. But Paul says to his readers that the day of the Lord will not surprise you like a thief. And why not? Because, verse 4, you are not in darkness. And here we see Paul is setting day and night, dark and light against each other. The Lord of the day is the thief of the night, and he is only coming as a thief to those who are in darkness who belong to the night. Those who belong to the day, who walk in the light, will experience the coming of the Lord, not as a thief, but as a savior. Those who are of the night will lose all that they have, but those who are of the day will gain all that Christ has for them. Now, this is really important, and no doubt this is part of Paul's motivation in wanting to clarify all of this for the Thessalonians, and it's good for us to be clear on as well. Christian, You have nothing to fear from the day of the Lord. You have nothing to fear from the day of the Lord. The return of Christ is the return of your king who is coming to save you. So we ought to anticipate that day like a wife anticipates the return of her husband who's been away at war. We long to be with him. We want him to come back. And we never want to be separated from him again. 
Now, what is so fearful about the day of the Lord is that it will be the day when God's wrath and judgment will be poured out. But Christian, once again, the wrath of God that is owed to you for your sin has already been exhaustively poured out on Christ. And so there's not even a single drop of it left over for you to to fear. If you are in Christ, then you've been adopted into family. You're children of the day. And the day of the Lord, then, is the day that you finally get to go home. So Paul means for our understanding of the future and our understanding of the return of Christ to motivate how we live now. But it's really important to understand that motivation is not fear. It is hope and longing to be with the one who we love that Paul holds out for us to embrace now so that we might endure in faith. Look with me at verses 6 through 8, where we see that the children of light stay awake. And I'm going to start in verse 5. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So in verse 5, Paul uses day and night to identify two groups of people who will experience the day of the Lord differently. And Paul is using day and night as metaphors of ages or kingdoms. There is this present evil age that is in darkness and rebellion against God and his rule. This is the kingdom of man who has set itself against the kingdom of God. And then there is the age to come that's already broken into history at Christ's first coming and is now found wherever God's people are living under God's rule. And what happens when someone becomes a Christian, Paul tells us, they are transferred out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. Or, in language that he's using here in Thessalonians, they become children of light. They become children of the day. And they are no longer of the night or of darkness. So this is identity language that Paul is using to differentiate between two kinds of people. And this is what makes the difference in how you experience the return of Christ. So if you are of the day, then when the day of the Lord comes, you'll welcome it. You won't hide from it. You belong to the day, and the day is finally here. But when Christ returns, he will also come as a thief in the night. That is, he will come as a thief to those who are of the night. For those who still belong to the domain of darkness, he will come bringing judgment and devastation. But Paul says our identity as belonging either to the kingdom of light or the kingdom of darkness affects more than just how we will experience the return of Christ. It also affects how we live now. So those who belong to the night are characterized by a way of life that is befitting their identity as belonging to the night. So also Christians who belong to the day and are looking forward to the coming day of the Lord live now, even before that day has dawned, as those who belong to the day. 
So Paul lists for us daytime activities and nighttime activities, ways of life that characterize a person's identity as either belonging to the day or the night. So people of the night are asleep. People of the day are awake. People of the night get drunk. People of the day are sober. These are metaphors that are obviously put in opposition with each other. So what does Paul mean by wakefulness and sobriety? That is to characterize the present life of Christians who are looking forward in hope to the day of the Lord. Well, Bob read earlier for us from Matthew where Jesus talks about servants needing to to, to stay awake because they don't know when the master is returning, but they know that he's returning. And when he returns, they want him to find them faithfully doing the things that he left for them to do. So being awake means that your life is oriented around and governed by the reality that the master is returning and that we know not when. And therefore, we must stay awake. We must be watchful and vigilant in our waiting. But those who belong to the night are asleep. And, and the image of sleep is communicating that, that they're not expecting the day of the Lord. It's not on their radar. It, it, it doesn't occur to them through the course of their normal lives that there is any such day that they would even need to, to prepare for. Just like when you're asleep, you're oblivious. So also those who belong to the night are spiritually oblivious and insensible, and therefore they will not be ready when the thief comes in the night and the night turns into the day of the Lord. Now, the idea of remaining sober is getting at this idea of self-control and a refusal to participate in the patterns of life that characterize the night by those who no longer belong to the night. So Jesus talked about this too in, in Matthew 24, right? The wicked servant who says, my master's delayed. He's not coming back. And so the servant lives as though his master is not returning. He eats and drinks with drunkards and he abuses his fellow servants but his master will return. And he'll return at an hour he's not expected. And he will destroy that servant. So what's the point? We know that the Lord is returning. And we know that we don't know when. Those who belong to the day when he returns will be found waiting for him, watching for him, and will be found being faithful to him. In other words, not taking advantage of his absence. Assuming that we've got plenty of time. Uh, I'll, I'll repent tomorrow. The heart that says that they will repent later is a sleepy heart. A sleepy heart that is just looking for their next drink. Paul tells the Thessalonians and us that our lives are not to be characterized by sleep and drunkenness. And it's so important to see why in verse 8. Because we belong to the day. So Paul is not just talking to everyone in general and saying, now if you want to belong to the day, you have to do daytime stuff. And if you want to belong to the night, you do nighttime stuff. That is not what he's saying. He's saying something completely different. He's telling Christians not to sleep, not to get drunk, not so that they can be of the day, but because they already are of the day. Christians already belong to the day. So Paul is telling Christians to live like 
who they already are. In Christ, you have already been saved from the darkness and the night. You belong to the day. Therefore, Paul says, let your life be characterized by and show forth who you are. And here's where we see the connection, I think, between being aware and being awake. So Paul told us in verse 2 that children of the day are fully aware that Christ will return and that no one knows when he will return. And because the children of light are fully aware, the result is that they stay awake. Because when the king returns, they want to be found doing what he left for them to do. So this is the answer to the question, what should Christians be doing in light of the return of Christ? The wrong answer is that we should try and figure out when it'll happen. That's the wrong answer. It's easy to get excited about that sort of thing, trying to become more aware so that we can read the signs and the times and and figure out if we're getting close. But Paul tells Christians they don't need to be more aware. They are already fully aware. You need to stay awake. If you know that Jesus is coming back and you know that you don't know when, That's all there is to know or to be aware of. But there's still much to be done. You have to be watchful, self-controlled. You have to live every aspect of your life under the rule of the coming king who hasn't come yet. And that's the tension and hardship of the Christian life. Everyone is going to bow the knee to the king when he comes with his army, right? Everyone is going to surrender and throw down their arms. But if you're loyal to the king before that day comes, then you serve him now. Even though everyone around you is convinced that he isn't coming at all. There's not an army coming to destroy our kingdom. We have peace and security. Take a nap. Have another drink. Join us. Christians belong to the day, and so we live now in this present, evil, dark age as those who don't fit in and are waiting for the dawn of the day of the Lord. This is what Paul calls Christians to in light of the return of Christ. And it, is, it isn't nearly as much fun as theorizing about who the Antichrist might be, but this is what the Bible is actually concerned with. You don't need to be more aware about the day of the Lord. You need to stay awake. And the Lord has not left us defenseless as children of the day living in the midst of darkness. He clothes us in armor so that we might be able to stand in faithfulness to him until reinforcements arrive. Paul's description here in verse 8 of the breastplate and helmet comes actually from Isaiah 59. And in Isaiah 59, it's actually the Lord himself who's strapping on the armor in order to come and do battle against his enemies and to save his people. So, here we see that we've been given God's own armor. That is to say, we've been given access to resources that are not our own. And that means, if you feel weak and not up to the task of enduring through hardship, and remaining faithful to Jesus in this life, understand that God has never asked you and will never ask you to do anything in your own strength. 
He clothes us with everything that we need. He has not left us on our own. And what has he clothed us in? Faith and love and hope. And if you recall, Paul began this letter by mentioning the same triad in chapter 1, verse 3. And we're most used to hearing these three put together, and, and we commonly think of love as being what we're supposed to emphasize. But not in Thessalonians. In Thessalonians, Paul places these three next to each other, but lays particular emphasis on the Christian's hope. So faith and love in this letter are the fruits that result in the Christian's life because of the certain hope of salvation that we have in Christ. So Christian, stay awake. And stay awake by depending upon the resources that God has amply supplied you with. Persevere in faith towards God and love towards one another in the hope of your coming salvation when your king returns. So children of light are fully aware and are called to stay awake as they patiently await the day of the Lord. So let's look at verses 9 through 11 where we see the children of light are awaiting the day of the Lord with hope and confidence. Four, God has not destined us for wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. So Paul ends this section of addressing questions regarding the return of Christ by orienting us within redemptive history in order to hopefully clarify some of the confusion, but also to comfort and encourage the Thessalonians. So the Thessalonians should not have any fear in anticipating the day of the Lord. There's no question about what that day will mean for Christians. The day of the Lord for the children of the day is our day of salvation. And Paul roots our confidence about our future, not just in the past, but in eternity past. Your hope, therefore is as certain as God's plans cannot be changed. And just to be clear, God cannot change. And nothing can mess up His plans. So God isn't going to change. There's no one who can stop Him from fulfilling His purposes. And He has told us His purposes are for His people to obtain salvation. So Christian, calm down a little bit. And hope in the Lord. And and when I say, Christian, you should have hope, I'm not saying you should just have a confidence that it will all work out one day. Our hope is actually grounded in the fact that it's already been worked out. So God destined his people to obtain salvation in eternity past, but he's also already sent Jesus to earth to actually provide that salvation. So the reason Christian hope regarding our future is certain is because it's based on something that's already happened in the past. Jesus has already died. And what does Paul say in verse 10? He has died for us. So this is how we can know that all who are in Christ are not destined for wrath because all the wrath that was due to us for our sin has been poured out on Jesus on the cross. And he died as a wrath-absorbing substitute 
and then was raised from the dead in complete victory over sin and death. And because of the Father's eternal plan, and because of the Son's accomplishment of that plan in history, the result is that now the Spirit is shining the light of the gospel into the darkness and is waking up sleepy sinners like us and causing them to be born again as children of the day. So for children of the day, for Christians, I think this passage calls us to respond in two primary ways. The first response we've already seen is to walk in the light, to live like what you are. Once again, we're not talking about sinless perfection. We're talking about the overall characterization of your life. And we are meaning to say that over time, that, the, that there is a, an increasing and growing pattern in your life of walking in the light and growing in your watchfulness and cultivating your self-control and increasing in faith and progressing in love and flourishing in hope. I think that's what walking in the light looks like for children of the day. Secondly, Paul says children of the light are not just concerned about themselves, but are to be concerned for each other. It's not enough for a Christian to personally walk in the light. A Christian must be concerned with helping others walk in the light as well. So Paul is writing this to this struggling church in order to encourage them and to build them up in the faith. And a part of how he does that is by encouraging them to encourage one another and to establish them in building up and edifying one another. So part of what it means to be a child of the day is to have new brothers and sisters. To be born as a child of the day means to be born into a new family. And Paul's understanding is that the local church of believers are to walk in the light together. They're to work for the encouragement and building up of each other. So Christian, walk in the light, but don't walk alone. And I think we can even say from verse 11 that you actually you can't really walk in the light if you're walking alone. So just as children need committed, loving families, so also Paul seems to think that Christians need committed, loving churches. Now, as we come to the end of our passage, if the big question on your mind is that you aren't really sure whether you belong to the day or the night. Or you want to know how you can be sure. Not only is that a a great question, but I really think this passage is actually meant to help us ask that question and help us answer it. The Lord is good, and He is good to all. He is kind, and He is gracious, and because He is good... He wants you to know who you are. If you are a child of the day, He wants you to know it. He wants you to hope and have confidence. And if you belong to the night, because God is good, He wants you to know that too. He wants you to hear the warning that He's coming back so that You can repent from walking in darkness and trusting Christ. 
so that you can be awake when he comes. So that you will not be caught unaware. God wants you to know whether you belong to the day or the night. And so he gives us this passage as a test that we can apply to our hearts, our minds, and lives. And the test is this. It's really simple. Are you walking in the light or are you walking in darkness? Now, we've already said how those are related, right? You don't become a part of the day by trying to do daytime activities. It's the people who are of the day that do daytime activities. But that does mean that walking in the daytime is an indicator. Paul calls on the children of light to walk in the light. And Christians need this call because the darkness is also calling us, isn't it? The Christian feels the tug of the world, feels the draw and temptation of sin. But notice, Paul doesn't have to tell those who belong to the night to walk in darkness. He doesn't have to tell them, live like who you are. Because those who are in darkness don't have a choice. They haven't been freed to struggle against sin because they're still slaves to it. They're still asleep. So consider your life. And and it's just you and the Lord, so it doesn't really help to not be honest with yourself. Is your life characterized by your being free from sin? Or is your life characterized by sin? We could ask that same question from the, from the other side. Think of it like this. When Jesus returns and every inch of the universe is brought into conformity with His will and His priorities, how radical of a change will that make in your life? Your priorities now, your pursuits now, what you give your time, money, and thoughts to now. If all of those things were brought into complete conformity to the will of Jesus, do we need slight adjustments? Or do we need to radically change everything? Does Jesus, practically speaking, already rule over those aspects of your life? Or does he merely get a vote? Or does he not even enter into consideration? See, Jesus is ruling right now over the lives and hearts and wills and minds of his people. And so if these questions help you come to a realization that maybe Jesus isn't really ruling over you at all, I think this passage is written to help encourage us to consider that perhaps he's not ruling because we don't belong to his kingdom. And if those words land on you as being about you, I want you to also hear that there is good news because God is good. And he's so good that if you don't belong to his kingdom, he wants you to know it. And not only does he want you to know it, he wants you to come to him. So God's love for sinners has already been proven. Jesus, the Son of God, has died in the place of sinners so that we can be forgiven and and brought into Christ's kingdom. And that means that you can be forgiven. 
And that means that you can be set free from darkness and walk in the light and made a child of the day. And that means you can have real hope as you look forward to the return of Jesus, not just as the king, but as your king. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for sending your son to set your people free from darkness and to cause us to walk in the light of your coming return and coming reign. Lord, would you reveal to our hearts ways in which we are not as awake or sober as we ought to be. And Lord, would you clothe us and equip us with everything we need in order to walk in the light until your son returns. Lord, would you grow us in our love and anticipation for that day that we might be characterized as people of hope as we await the day of the Lord as the day of our salvation. And we ask this in the name of King Jesus. Amen.